I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. In 1849, Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr wrote, The more things change, the more they stay the same. When we consider this expression, most can agree that even though life and circumstances may appear to advance or transform on the deeper or more intrinsic level, nothing really changes including people. Over the years, numerous theories have been proposed to explain why people fail to develop or to grow. Abraham Maslow was an American psychologist who constructed a self-actualization theory of development. At the core of his argument is the notion that each individual should strive to reach his or her fullest potential, and this can only be accomplished by integrating the parts of oneself into the whole of oneself. However, you have to first recognize what those individual parts or needs are in order to achieve this goal, and this led him to creating the Maslow Hierarchy of Needs Pyramid. At the base of the pyramid is where he placed basic needs, such as food, shelter, and warmth. And just above that is safety and security. These categories deal with the person's physical or external needs. And as the pyramid ascends, the requirements become more intrinsic or more essential, such as belongingness, love, accomplishment, and prestige. And these must each be cultivated in order to reach the point of self-actualization. With that said, he believed that if a person is to reach a higher level and ultimately reach their full potential, he or she must first ensure that their basic needs are fully satisfied. Although Maslow's theory has been highly criticized because of its lack of scientific basis, it does help to shed light on misnomers about the apathetically low achievement of the people in Little Kentucky. Because many residents in the area were lacking in adequate basic needs, their day-to-day survival was much more crucial than reaching self-actualization. When I was in high school, I was mortified when I overheard a beloved teacher talking negatively about the neighborhood I lived in. I desperately wanted to set the record straight with her, but because I was naive, idealistic, and wanted to maintain her approval of me, I pretended not to hear what she was saying. Because of comments like hers and those made by others as I was growing up, I felt embarrassed and less than. As an adult, I've come to realize that many people still hold under that attitude and view 
of Mansfield's North End as a collective of less thans. In researching the lives of the women discussed in this podcast, I've come to understand that not only did time run out before they could become self-actualized, their circumstances and surroundings impeded their ascension in life's pyramid. I offer this not as an excuse, but as a matter of fact. Unlike Eliza Hall, Shirley Wallace grew up in a home with hardworking parents who provided for the physical or basic needs of their children. However, Shirley shared a commonality with Kathy Smith in that she grew up with working parents, but both women lacked in the area of belongingness and love. And we'll soon discover that they had much more in common than deficient hierarchy requirements and making bad romantic decisions. People who remember Shirley described her as a sweet, kind, and trusting person. She was said to have a nurturing quality about her, and that was manifested by the way she watched after her younger siblings and helped manage the day-to-day running of her family's household. A childhood friend of hers said that Shirley didn't have much of a social life because of her duties at home, but that her dad would allow her to visit with neighbor girls or have friends come over while her mom was at work, just to give her a chance to have fun and be a kid. Shirley loved and respected her mom, but like most teenage girls, there comes a time when they want to loosen the mother-daughter apron string and gain their own independence. According to writer Elizabeth Bernstein, a mother often sees her daughter as an extension of herself and knowingly or unknowingly puts her own hopes onto her daughter. When this happens, the daughter feels that she has to fulfill her mother's needs and expectations or else she'll be a disappointment to her. A childhood friend shared that Shirley's mother, Reba, was quite controlling and rather dismissive of her daughter's needs. And this might have caused Shirley to feel a sense of rejection from her mom. But in Reba's defense, Any mother who has raised a daughter can relate to rough patches that occur during the teenage years, and much research has been completed to better understand this struggle. According to author Peg Streep, who's best known for her work in mother-daughter relationships, daughters raised by dismissive mothers doubt the validity of their own emotional needs They feel unworthy of attention and experience deep, gut-wrenching self-doubt, 
all the while feeling intense longing for love and validation. Perhaps it was this longing and need for acceptance that drew Shirley toward the attention and later the affection of a neighborhood boy. And unbeknownst to her mom, they began an intimate relationship. It was during the summer of Shirley's 17th year that she became pregnant with her first daughter. When Reba discovered that her teenage daughter was expecting a child, she was quite disappointed in Shirley and absolutely furious with the baby's father, who ended up moving out of the area and leaving Shirley with no one but her parents to turn to for help. Although times were quite difficult at first, the pregnancy seemed like a turning point in their parent-child relationship, and the two seemed to bond over the prospect of a new addition to the family as Reba drove her to doctor's appointments and saw to it that Shirley had all she needed to welcome her own daughter into this world. A few months after the little girl's birth, Shirley broke the news to her parents that she was pregnant again and that the child didn't have the same father as her newborn daughter. Although she was extremely annoyed by the situation and might have feared that Shirley's future would be difficult and companionless, Reba supported her daughter with the same love and backing as she did with her first child. As time passed, Shirley worked several jobs trying to make ends meet for her and her young children. Life was very difficult, so she relied on her mom and dad for financial and emotional support. Reba disliked seeing Shirley lonely and alone, and at the time, Reba was working for a local company and acquainted with a male co-worker who was separated from his wife. We'll never know if she knew about his legal troubles and the fact that many held him in ill repute, but her failure to gather more information would have dire consequences. At the time when Reba Dickinson and Del Carver were co-workers, he was separated from his wife of four years. In 1966, Del had married Edra Kelly, a woman eight years his senior and who had been married twice before. Evidently, the third time was definitely not the charm for Miss Kelly, because less than four years later, she was granted a petition for divorce on the grounds of gross neglect and extreme cruelty. Dale Whitey Carver was the local man with a reputation for being hot-headed and always looking for a fight. Former neighbors reported that he frequented local bars on a regular basis and drove around the little Kentucky neighborhood, causing fear and uneasiness for people he passed, especially young women. He was also known by local law enforcement and faced several charges 
ranging from failure to register a dog, for which he paid a fine, to assault and battery, for which he received a sentence of probation. Whitey was said to fancy himself as a ladies' man, but he was also known to be quite rough with women. It was reported to me by his former neighbor that he had a hair-trigger temper and would cuss you out just as soon as he would look at you. Some of Shirley's childhood friends wondered why Reba would introduce her daughter to such an unsavory character. But one shared that when he and Shirley began dating, he tried to reinvent himself. According to public records, it appears that Shirley and Whitey began dating around the time when her two children were but toddlers. Whitey and his wife, Edra, divorced on November 2, 1970. And 11 days later, on November 11, 1970, he married Shirley Ann Wallace, a young mom who was 10 years his junior. In his attempt to reinvent himself, Dale dropped the nickname Whitey and instructed his wife to refer to him only as Dale. After the wedding, he moved his family into a small house on Boyle Road, just one street over from Shirley's mother. In a bizarre twist of fate, the home that the Carver family settled in was the exact same house where Kathy Smith and her family resided at the time of her death. What are the odds of such an uncanny coincidence? Or was some other force at play? Within days of becoming the next Mrs. Dale Carver, Shirley's new husband forbade her from speaking to former friends and neighbors unless he was present, and he monitored all of her comings and goings. Even though he was trying to present himself as a new and improved man, his familiar heinous traits couldn't remain hidden. For Shirley Ann Carver, her husband's heavy-handedness would soon become the least of her worries. Watered down women with diluted dreams are home for joy been washed down the street. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered down women. Weekend in life while searching for love.